Joe, please stand and worship with us this morning. seated. Thank you so much for being with us in worship today. We appreciate our epic band being with us this morning. Jonathan's on vacation, so we pray for him and Laura that they'll have a great time. We're glad to have them helping us lead in worship today. Uh, we want to welcome you to our services. If you are a guest of ours, we ask that you please take one of the care cards that's located in the pew rack there in front of you. Uh, we would love to have a record of you being with us. If you could fill out your information, if there's information you want from us, there's places for you to check. Uh, and then on the back of the care card for everyone is a place to fill out any prayer requests that you might have. Uh, the staff wants to pray about those for you. So take a moment and fill those in. As you leave this morning, all those care cards can be placed in the wooden boxes that are on the round tables as you leave. And we'll make sure they get to the right place. But thank you again for being with us. Our Women of Faith uh, is meeting again. Uh, this is a group of our senior ladies that are widowed or single. And they are a rowdy bunch. They need chaperoning sometimes. Um, they will begin meeting every month again. 
uh, this month and this Tuesday. They'll meet at 1145 at KW on Copperfield. There's a sign up in the foyer at the info desk. Just go by and sign up for that so they can be looking for you. Also, ladies, you have a You Can Do It event this Thursday, September 8th at 6.30. There are several classes being offered on phone photography, gardening, meal prep, exercise, uh, Christmas decorating, tree decorating. The cost is $5, and they'll have dessert for you. You can sign up at the info desk also before you leave. Please take care of that today. And then I found out this morning we do have two open spots for our men's weekend at Snowbird. If you are still interested in going, that's the 16th. Through the 18th, the total cost of that event is $150. If you'll see me uh, after the service, again, we have two spots now open for that. So please let me know if you would like to be a part of that men's weekend. Always a great time there. We do have one matter of business to take care of this morning. Uh, Last Sunday evening, the personnel committee presented Amanda Christian to you as our candidate for our children's director. Uh, It was great to hear from her, hear her testimony, and meet her family last Sunday night had a great time of question and answer there. Uh, Today we are uh, going to be taking the official vote. So if you are a member of Pitts Baptist Church, if you would please stand at this time, and uh, the the ushers will come by and hand you a ballot. And once you receive your ballot, uh, you can be seated. And the choir has already been given their ballots. Um, So if you will help us with that and take just a moment. Once you receive your ballot, you can be seated. There should be some pens there. Uh, for you to vote. We missed some down here at the front. Let's see if Sergio. Here comes Gavin. There you go. Once you received your ballot, you can have a seat. And then uh, if you'll pass, once you voted, We'll pass the ballots towards the middle. Uh, this center section up here in the uh, balcony, if you guys want to pass it this way, um, we'll get that. But every, everybody else, if you'll pass your ballot towards the center. And then once we have all those, you can hold those in the air. And our ushers will come by and get those. Eddie, were you trying to stuff the ballot box over here? Sorry, okay. Making sure he's... All right, still some in the balcony. I think the floor is taken care of. While they're uh, handing those out, we are thankful for our new community groups starting this morning. If you've not been able to come to a community group, we want to encourage you to come next week. Come a little early. We start start those at 9 o'clock, and uh, that's a great time to come and really study the Bible together, get to know people in our church. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of one of our community groups uh, several new teachers. We do have the uh, maps in the back that describe all those classes, their age groups and the teachers and where they meet. We'd love to have you be a part of a community group. All right, so any more? We still have some up here and some in the upper balcony. I think they're getting taken care of. Once you vote, again, if you'll pass those toward the center and the balcony, if you'll pass it this way, our ushers will get those. Let's take just a moment uh, to get silent for a moment and get still before the Lord and just prepare our hearts today for worship and for our message this morning. Would you take just a moment and pray silently where you're seated and then I'll, I'll pray out loud. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us today. We thank you that you've allowed us to come to this building to worship with your church. And God, we know there are churches all over the world who are meeting today to honor you and praise you and and worship you and thank you, God, for all that you do for us. God, we do pray for Jonathan and Laura today as they're away from us, that you would give them a great time of uh, refreshing and uh, just bring them back to us uh, safely, God, and just give them a great time together. God, we pray for our service today, that you would 
be honored by it as we sing these songs, as Epic leads us in worship, God, that we would lift up your name, that you would be pleased with it. As pastor comes in a few moments to bring the message that you've given him, God, we pray that we would be challenged by it. God, we do pray for the needs uh, in this room. We know there are many probably, God. We, we want to pray for the Shanks family who uh, yesterday had a funeral for Jason's dad passing. God, we pray that you comfort that family. We know there are others probably here that uh, need some encouragement today for whatever reason, God, and some wisdom. We just pray you'd be with each of those situations, God, and uh, be with them. God, for all the events that are coming up in our church, God, we pray that they would honor and glorify you, that we would be challenged through them. God, again, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for our church and the way uh, that we minister to the people that come here, God. We, we thank you for allowing us to take this vote, and that we pray that your will would be done for our children's ministry, God, um, that we would see it move forward, God. We thank you for those opportunities. Just give us a great day today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. One gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer There is no more for heaven now to give He is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this i hope my hope is only jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my I dread, I know I am forgiven, the future sure, the price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave, to this I
Hallelujah, death has lost his grip on me. 
Appreciate the epic band uh, leading us this morning in worship in Jonathan's uh, absence. It's good to see you here. I know being Labor Day weekend, we have many of our folks uh, gone, so it is very nice to see you uh, with us in worship today. Uh, let me go ahead and announce, where is uh, Jeremy and Amanda? Would you raise your hands? Are they in here at the moment? Are they... There they are. Jerry Sullivan just handed me the ballot results. Uh, Amanda Christian is our new director of our children's ministry. So <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Yes. I'm going to have you find Mark chapter uh, 5 in your copy of the scripture. And uh, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been going through the gospel of Mark celebrating the fact that the king has come and this morning we'll be looking at the subject matter Jesus deals with the desperation of men and women Jesus deals with the desperation of men and women we'll begin reading in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5 and we'll read down through the end of the chapter it says there, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Telethai kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Father, we are amazed at your power and authority as we read through the Gospels. The power and the authority of your Son. He speaks and it is done. Just as in creation you spoke and it was done. Your word is authoritative. And Lord, as we read your word, the Bible, we know that it is your authority for our lives. And we have the promise in Isaiah 55 that your word will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that which you please. Lord, accomplish your purposes here today. Speak hope to the hopeless. Speak provision to the needy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten-year-old Sarah Murnahan was a girl who in 2013 was in the middle of a huge debate about organ transplants. She's a girl from Pennsylvania dealing with cystic fibrosis who was only given a very short amount of time to live without a lung transplant. Though listed as the most critical patient needing new lungs, being only 10 years of age at the time, she fell two years short of the age for receiving new organs but because of a court order from a judge young Sarah was able to receive two new lungs within just hours of the transplant however those lungs failed she was placed on an ECMO machine until a second transplant could be done The lungs that came available were infected with pneumonia and normally would not be uh, placed into a patient. But doctors could not wait, however. Sarah was out of time and out of hope. They cleaned as much of the pneumonia out of the lungs as they could and they implanted them in to young Sarah uh, Murnaham. And she has fortunately survived. Hers was a desperate situation. It appeared that she only had hours to live when the lungs came available. Now folks, as we come to Mark chapter 5, we see men and women in desperate situations. They are beyond any reasonable hope. The last time we were in this chapter, we saw how Jesus delivered a man who had a legion of demons inside of him. And Jesus drove those demons out. Mark 5 has been referred to as the St. Jude chapter of the Bible. To Catholics, St. Jude is the patron saint of hopeless cases. And that's why when Danny Thomas became rich and famous, he said he wanted to open a hospital for hopeless cases. And so in 1962, he founded St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. It now includes eight affiliate hospitals across the U.S., Well, Mark 5 might be called the St. Jude chapter because it records one hopeless case, one right after the other. 
And today we see two more such cases. One case concerns a woman. A woman that the whole world would have considered a nobody. She's a nobody. The way she's presented in the text. The other case concerns a respected synagogue ruler and his daughter who is on her deathbed. Here are two people who are socially and economically miles apart in status. But human desperation has a grip on both of them. And it just goes to show us that pain and suffering are no respecter of persons. The rich and the poor alike suffer in a fallen world. Setbacks are common. Some Dave Seeger jokes. Did you hear about the cow that tried to jump over the barbed wire fence? It was an utter disaster. Or how about the butcher who backed into his meat grinder? He got a little behind in his work. But seriously though, setbacks are common. Desperation at some point in life is common, just like we see in our stories today. And in each case, they do the right thing. They carry their desperation to Jesus. Now folks, on a side note, let me mention something that's important to understand. We might wonder why the the sick were healed in the Gospels, whereas today so oftentimes they die. But let's remember while Jesus walked on the earth, he commented as to how he was the light of the world and he was going to work miracles so that people would understand his identity. They would learn who he is by what he did because he's doing things that only God can do. And so if this man Jesus is doing things that only God can do, who must he be? He must be God. John, for example, points out in his gospel that Jesus' miracles were signs pointing to his divinity. Jesus never did miracles simply for the sake of doing miracles or making miracle chasers out of people. Rather, he did miracles that people might be confronted with his identity. And it shows us that when God's redemption of mankind is consummated and we are residents of the age to come in the new heavens and the new earth, just like John says in Revelation 21, we will be in a place where there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain, and no more death. God will make all things new. Jesus has told us in Mark chapter 1 that in him the kingdom of God has drawn near. In the incarnation, Jesus entered into our misery and our fallen state. He brought healing, showing what it will be like when we're in his presence for all of eternity. And as he said in John chapter 8 with the blind man, he said, while I am, the, while I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. The Bible says he touched the blind man and he healed him. Jesus was not going to allow the blind man to walk around in darkness while the blind man was in the very presence of Jesus. Whether it's that blind man, whether it's this woman here with the issue of blood or Jairus' daughter, they are going to experience now what it will be like for everybody in the age to come. But for now, people suffer. And what we learn in our text, regardless of what our status is in life, regardless of our position... Regardless of the outcome of the crisis, whether Jesus heals you or whether like the Apostle Paul, he chooses to leave your thorn in the flesh, whatever the outcome, it is always the right thing to do to bring our desperation to Jesus and to lay our burdens at his feet. What have you come in here with this morning that you need to lay at his feet before we leave today?
What burden, what trial, what tribulation, what hardship or suffering have you come in here this morning with? I want you to see first of all with me a desperate father there in verses 21 to 24. Verse 21 opens with the crowds who are gathering uh, to receive Jesus. Now I want you to remember... Last week we saw Jesus on the western side, uh, or excuse me, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He would have been over in Gentile lands or Gentile territory. And uh, we saw after he drove the legion of demons out of that man, the people were scared. They'd never seen anything like that. And so they asked him to leave. The townspeople just didn't know what to make of all this. And so what did Jesus do? He left. One man's loss is another man's gain. So he leaves that side of the lake. He comes westward back to the Jewish side. And they're delighted to see Jesus. And immediately a very important man uh, runs up to meet Jesus. His name is Jairus. He is identified as a synagogue official. Now synagogue officials were men who were not teaching rabbis but they were in charge of looking after everything that was related to the synagogue they would handle all of the administrative type things they would make sure that the biblical scrolls were in order and that the scroll containing the reading for that week was laid out properly they would make sure that everything about the property and all of the building that everything was in order They were laymen. It was considered a very important position. You had to be a very dependable person to be a synagogue official. You had to be very trustworthy. They were highly respected in their community. But again, status doesn't make one immune to the effects of sin in this world. You know, I've known of very wealthy people in this world whose bodies or maybe the bodies of one of their loved ones was racked with pain and disease and suffering and no amount of money that they had mattered one iota. Man couldn't do anything to help them even though they had status, even though they had money. I've known of people like that and you have too. Well, this synagogue ruler had a desperate problem. He had a daughter who was gravely ill. Now, normally the religious crowd was not favorable to Jesus. No doubt Jairus' circle of friends would have discouraged his action here, but none of that mattered. Here's a daddy whose daughter is dying. You know, his world probably changed when she was born, and there's nothing now that's going to stop him from trying to get his little girl the help that she needs. Jesus' reputation has been spreading in the area and uh, Jairus believes that Jesus can cure her. And so he forgets about what everybody thinks. And I want you to see three things in the text that really stick out uh, about his approach to Jesus. It's humble, it's urgent, it's desperate. And what's he do? He falls at Jesus' feet and he implores Jesus to come quickly and do something for his daughter. He believes that if Jesus will only touch his little girl, she will live. You know, I would like to think that he was around when those events back in Mark chapter 2 took place. When there were four men who carried a friend of theirs on a mat. Their friend was a paralytic. And they carried their friend on a mat to see Jesus at a house. And because of the crowd there gathered at at that house, they had to walk up that outer staircase onto the flat roof, dig down through the roof to get their friend to Jesus. And Jesus healed that man. I'd like to think that maybe Jairus had been there in the crowd that day and, and seen that. And so he has hope that Jesus can do something for his daughter. Jesus agrees to go with Jairus and instantly there's a large crowd following along for the ride. 
They're anxious to see. They're curious to see what happens next. But we'll have to leave this story there for now. You see, there's an interruption in it. Just when this father begins to have a little bit of hope, people are there to get in the way. Don't you wonder what this dad felt about the crowd and, and, and now about this woman with the issue of blood who's interrupting everything? He's probably saying, come on, let's, let's get back to what's important to me. This dad is probably frustrated. And we'll come back later to see more on that. Second thing I want you to see with me is a determined woman. Beginning there in verse 25. While Jesus is en route to the home of Jairus, a, this woman approaches him. She's a nobody. She's not even named. We're only told about her condition. She has an issue of blood. She's the very opposite of Jairus. The important synagogue official. Now, when we understand about her issue of blood, we need to understand what the Old Testament said about this. Write down in the margin of your Bible that later on you'll go back and read Leviticus chapter 15. This would have made her unclean. She would have been unclean. Every couch or chair that she sat on would have been considered unclean every bed that she would lay down upon to go to sleep would have been considered unclean everyone that touched her would have been considered unclean and again you can read all the details about this in Leviticus she would have probably been just like a leper when anybody was about to approach her and maybe brush up against her, come near to her. She would have had to say, unclean, unclean. This is the type of life this lady is living. And being a woman back then, her standing in the community would have already been lowly. And verse 26 tells us she's broke. She's probably anemic, she's weak, she's broke. And verse 26 says she has endured much at the hands of physicians and that she had spent everything that she had trying to get well. Don't you wonder about maybe some of the treatments she had been subjected to? For instance, archaeologists have found a medical book called the Ebers Papyrus written by the Egyptians and dated to around the time of Moses. And here's some of the medical advice it contains. If you want to prevent your hair from turning gray, you can anoint it with the blood of a black cat that has been boiled in oil or with the fat of a rattlesnake. Or if you want to keep your hair from falling out, take six fats, namely those of the horse, the hippo, the crocodile, the cat, the snake, and the ibex. And if you want to strengthen your hair, anoint it with the tooth of a donkey crushed in honey. If you have a splinter embedded under your skin, rub worm's blood and donkey dung on it. That would have been some of the medical treatments of the day. And folks, not just in places like Egypt, but even around Israel. Even in Israel you would find treatments like this. Some of the cures that were written about at the time of the, uh, the Jewish writings, such as the Talmud, were nothing more than either potions to, to drink something or superstitions. There were at least seven supposed cures for this lady's condition she's probably been through every one of them for example one such instruction said the afflicted woman should carry a barley corn which had been taken from the droppings of a white she donkey and another superstition said to carry the ashes of a burned up ostrich egg wrapped up in a cloth under your garments Folks, you read stuff like that. And aren't you grateful for the medical advancements we have today? 
That's why I continue to tell some of you, keep having those surgeries, keep having those tests. Let the doctors practice on you because I'm hopeful by the time I need a heart bypass or something, they'll say, here, Mr. Davis, swallow this tablet. Here's your heart bypass. So keep letting them practice on you. Well, with this lady here, you can see her hopelessness. She's been to one medical expert after another. She's done this and that. She spent all of her money and nothing has helped her. She hears about Jesus and she thinks, if I can just touch his garment. And that was a common thought. It was believed that if you could touch a holy man or even have his shadow fall on you, you would be made well. In the book of Acts, we see this same idea. People were bringing their sick to the apostles so that even their shadows might fall on them. But folks, it, it, it's even deeper than that. You see the rabbis, going all the way back to Numbers, uh, Numbers 15, we see that all of the community of the Jews, especially the rabbis, their outer garment down at the hem, uh, they were to sew uh, four tassels down there, a tassel on each corner, and these tassels were referred to as wings, and these tassels were to be a constant reminder to them, even in their garments, that they were the holy people of God who were to keep God's commandments. And I can't help but think that this lady knew her Bible, her Old Testament very well because I want you to listen to a messianic prophecy in Malachi 4 chapter 2. Right as the Old Testament is closing, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And so what's her thinking? They've been waiting on the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Those tassels in the hem of his garment. And she's thinking if I can only, he, he, he's the Messiah. No doubt she believes he, he, he's the one they've been waiting for. And she's thinking, uh, based on what Malachi said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, if I can only touch those tassels, those wings, I'll find healing. And so that's what she does. And sure enough, she's well. She's cured and she knows it. Jesus knows somebody's touched him. His disciples think it's a silly question considering the crowd. But Jesus turns around, verse 32, he looks at the woman. She's scared. She comes clean. She falls before the Lord, tells him everything. Now you need to know something. Rabbis of this time had nothing to do with women. They would not speak to them publicly or allow women to touch them. They blamed Eve for the fall. They believed women, the, the basic role that women had was to be a temptation for men. Sorry ladies, that's just some of the thinking of the day. But you know what? Jesus didn't hold such a low view of women. In fact, today we look around the globe today, wherever Christianity has gone into lands, guess what? The role of women has been elevated. In Luke 10, we see Jesus allowing a woman, Mary, to sit at his feet as a disciple and learn from him. Something other disciples would not allow. Jesus reached out to women. He reached out to shepherds. He reached out to the lowly. The entire gospel of Luke is at pains to show us how Jesus reached out to the outcast, the lowly, the humble that everybody else had forgotten about. And what's Jesus tell this lady? Your faith has made you whole. 
And it's interesting the word Jesus uses here because it has other nuances to it. It's a word that can actually mean your faith has saved you. She's been healed, but it's more than that. She's encountered the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. She leaves His presence physically whole but spiritually whole as well. She's had an encounter with the Messiah. She came to Jesus out of her desperation. Her desperation drove her to Jesus, but she left with far more. Folks, it just goes to show us the Lord can use desperation in people's lives to get their attention. Sometimes when somebody is saved, it's because of some kind of brokenness in their life. It's because of some type of desperation in their lives. And that's what led them to seek the Lord. And they end up with a whole lot more than a physical cure. They end up being saved. It happens. And that's why it would not surprise me one bit with this class that we have going on now each week. Grief share. And people from the community with deep grief in their life, they come to this class, they hear the gospel in the process. It will not surprise me at all to have some of the leaders of the Grief Share ministry end up coming to me in a matter of weeks or months and telling me somebody who came to their class, they were able to minister to that person and end up leading that person to faith in Christ. There's a couple of things to point out here. On the one hand, if you're the desperate one, Jesus can do so much more than you're even thinking he might be able to do. But also let me say to you, if you know somebody who has some point of desperation in their life, if you'll help that person deal with that, you might be the one to lead them to faith in Christ. You know, Christians need to see that when when we rub shoulders with desperate and hopeless people, if we will pay attention to what's going on in, in their lives, we might be able to help them understand even more than their immediate need. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, we serve a God who is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions that we might be able to comfort somebody else. God may allow you to go through something, help you through that, so you're equipped to help somebody else going through that same thing that you went through. And in the process, you're able to lead them to Christ. So pay attention to people around you who are hurting. That's an opportunity. That's an open door for you to be a witness. Third thing I want you to see this morning, a dead child. Beginning there in verse 35. Don't you know the whole episode with the woman on some level, again, probably had irritated uh, Jairus? I'm sure on the one hand, you know, he was encouraged because he saw what Jesus had done with this woman. That gave him hope. But on the other hand, he's in a hurry to get Jesus to his daughter. And so this might have seemed like a needless interruption. He's probably tickled to death now that they're resuming their journey to his house. But just as they do, I want you to notice people from Jairus' house show up to let him know it's too late. It's too late, Jairus. Leave the teacher alone. It's too late. It's too late. Several times in my ministry, I've been sitting with families a loved one, their time is very short and you're sitting with them and maybe it's something that happens in that moment, the next few hours or maybe over a span of time but the doctors come out and say but there's one more thing we can try and man you can see a glimmer of light, a ray of hope in their eyes and maybe a few hours later, a few days later the doctors come back and they say we're sorry. It didn't work. And you see that glimmer of hope disappear. 
And it's like a 10,000 pound weight has just dropped on that person. It's too late, Jairus. Leave the teacher alone. But Jesus assures Jairus, they get to his house, they, they find mourners there. Now, no doubt these would have been friends and family, uh, but it was also customary at this time to have professional mourners. This is something that was in their culture that you and I need to understand. Even the poor in Israel were expected to hire two flute players and at least one woman who would weep and wail and be a professional mourner. Can you imagine a job like that? I mean, you just go from house to house and family to family, and you're, when, they're, when they're carrying the dead loved one to, to bury them, you're marching along with them and weeping and wailing and playing the flute. That's the kind of job these mourners had. And since Jarius is such an important synagogue official, there's probably more than two flute players and one woman. There's probably a whole host of professional mourners. There's this, there's this big commotion going on. It's already started in the, in, in the home. They're mourning the death of a child. And you know that's what hurts the most, isn't it? When a child dies or a grandchild dies because it's, it's in us that our children and our grandchildren are supposed to be the ones who bury us. I mean, there's something just seems all the more tragic and sad when a little child dies. Jesus takes the inner circle of his disciples, the girl's parents, puts everybody else out saying that she's only asleep. Now remember the book of Deuteronomy said every matter had to be confirmed by at least two witnesses. Well, Jesus has five witnesses here. There's no question that she's dead and everybody knows it. She's been dead long enough that the professional mourners have already even arrived. You see, beginning in the 1800s with modern day rationalism that even infected biblical scholarship, when you would read commentators on this passage, they tried to say this little girl was probably only comatose. Well, folks, that's not what the Bible is telling us. She is dead. It's like Lazarus, dead for days. Lord, if we move the rock away from the entrance of the tomb, he, he's been dead four days. He stinketh by now. I mean, this little girl is dead. And Jesus says she's only sleeping. Now, that's a euphemism in the Bible for death. I think what the scripture is telling us that for the believer, death is no more than sleep. You close your eyes, but then you wake up in the presence of Jesus. Death is not permanent. Jesus gently but firmly takes this little girl's hand. He calls to her. She gets up. Can you imagine the commotion that caused? Jesus tells them to feed her, showing he cares for the body as well. We, we, folks, we have two miracles of life going on here. One with a woman and one with a little girl. And children, just like this woman, they were viewed poorly. They were to be seen but not heard. And so here Jesus in Mark 5, the St. Jude chapter, deals with two hopeless cases. The woman and the little girl received the same kind of priority and the same kind of attention as Jesus gave to Jairus, the little girl's very important father. Earthly position means absolutely nothing to Jesus. Aren't you glad of that? Red, yellow, black, and white. Rich, poor, whatever state you're in. God is no respecter of persons. 
I want to leave you this morning with some takeaways. Number one, we live in a fallen world. Romans 8 tells us that all of creation was affected by the fall. I've spoken to that plenty of times before. And folks, in a fallen world, we know that evil and suffering happens. And it happens to all. And yes, sometimes when it happens, people want to try to tie evil and suffering directly to somebody's sin. And there are cases when that can be done. Paul told the Corinthians, for example, when they came to the Lord's table, he said the reason some of you are sick and some of you have even died is because you're coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. There was sin in their lives. And so that was a case in point where, where evil and suffering and sickness and death was connected with sin. But at other times we don't know. Oh, we can say it's tied to sin in a generic sort of way. But folks, don't always feel like you've got to tie in a tornado, a flood, a case of cancer, a heart attack to somebody's sin. It's like we always want to do that. When somebody asks us, why did something like this happen to me? Is God angry at me? Have I done something wrong? Is there some kind of sin? I want you to remember in John 9, the Jews wanted to do that. They said, who sinned that this man was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but this sickness is for the glory of God. It's oftentimes just simply enough to acknowledge we live in a fallen world. And beyond that, we don't know the reason for this sickness, this illness, disease, or death. We just have to trust God. A second takeaway in a fallen world, the haves as well as the have-nots are affected. Suffering and illness comes to all. Rich, poor, black, white, red, brown, yellow. Suffering doesn't discriminate. It comes to all. And thirdly, we see today God heals some and others die. We could say they got the ultimate healing. We don't have to understand all this. Again, we trust the sovereignty of God. We, we pray in faith for healing and, and we have to be content to leave it there. Folks, we can't demand that God heal somebody to our specifications. And so while we pray with hope and expectancy, we have to trust you know, Mark is showing us that, that Jesus' authority extends even over sickness and death. The most hopeless of cases. It's no challenge for the Lord to heal. If he chooses not to, for some reasons unknown to us, again, we have to trust him. But Jesus is able to do beyond anything we could ever even hope or think. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who is bigger than our hopeless situations. But now don't miss this fourth one. Redemption is going to eventually cure everything. And that would have been a great place for an amen. Redemption is eventually going to cure everything. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. I want you to think of who's writing this. The Apostle Paul. Think of all the suffering he's been through. He was stoned on one occasion, left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. All kinds of opposition things he's gone through. Here is a man who has suffered in his life and his ministry. And he says, I know this. All of the suffering of the present time cannot even begin to compare to the glory that God has waiting for his children. 
As John says in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's God's promise to you. If you're his child through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus. If you don't know Christ, you can't claim that. You can't claim that. Your destiny is altogether different to a place that the Bible calls hell, unending torment and separation from God. But if you're in Christ, glory awaits. Wellness, life, life on a level of nothing that mankind knows about currently. That's what God has waiting for those who know Christ. I would beg of you, if you don't know Christ, come to Christ today. The Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come to Christ. If you're a believer and there's suffering and pain and hopelessness in your life, the altar's open. Come to Christ in that sense. Lay that burden at his feet. It's amazing what he can do. And even if he doesn't fix that situation, he can give you the strength to walk through it. Praise be to his name. Father, again, we thank you for this chapter of hope. Hope in the midst of hopelessness. We serve a God, as Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could imagine or think. God, thank you that in each of these occurrences, the man with the legion of demons, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus with his little daughter, precious daughter who's died, Lord, you intervened and you brought hope. To hopeless situations. You brought death. Oh, you brought life from death. And Lord, you still work in people's lives today. Lord, we read passages like this. And we would be tempted to keep it on the pages of the Bible. And keep it in the past. But we know the scripture says you're the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You are still the Lord for our hopelessness today. And the Bible tells us that we are to cast all of our care upon you because you care for us. Lord, speak to that person's heart this morning who's come in here with hopelessness, with a burden too great for them uh, to carry by themselves. Lord, help that person. I pray that they would walk out of here with only the hope that Jesus can bring. For that person who needs to come to Christ, Lord, I pray that they would come urgently and boldly confessing their need of the Savior. Lord, in this time when we sing a hymn of invitation, as we're yielded and still before you, have your way with us. God, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray.